best way to learn Retracing your steps till you know We'll just talk, Wendy, and then we'll see afterwards if any of this is worth using. But so the episode that we did with Cindy at the very beginning of it, you you came into that like really, really triggered because of this meme that was out there, the the, the Judas meme. All right, I I want to hear this. What 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 did you just hear, (laughs) Wendy? Well, it came across my group about a a quote from, um, what's his name? I don't know. I'm going to have to really back this up, but he says it's particularly heartbreaking when former church members leave and speak out against the church. They are Judas. Sometimes it's better just to not engage with Judas's. So yeah, I just gave my two cents and it's pretty fiery and (laughs) I did not withhold. And so I'm a little bit on fire. fire, 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 fire. And so maybe this is like our first public retraction or what do you call that? Like when you do, when you write in an editorial, it's a retraction, right? When a newspaper is like, yeah. So you were pretty angry at what Neil L. Anderson had said until you realized, Oh, he didn't actually say it or something like that. So. Yeah, it was a, it was a, he was talking about being peacemakers and he was kind of defending the members of the church and all the wonderful things that they've done for the church and, um, you know, pointing out that we interact with people of different faiths and that we've done all these great, marvelous things. I'll, I'll be honest, after I listened to the talk, I was just as triggered after listening to the talk for different reasons. Really? <laughs> and I was about the, the whole Judas thing. But so in the ex-Mormon world, they have a, a quote out saying, um, you know what, I, I really just want to get it. Yeah. And, and, you know, like when you say the ex-Mormon world, as if there is an ex-Mormon world. Right. I know. And and we all fit in that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but wouldn't you think that one of the values that all ex-Mormons would share in common would be um, a desire for the truth instead of falling for other people's lies exactly (laughs) right i do and actually somebody is got somebody spoke on that uh, on my facebook feed after i told raged about it (laughs) oh yeah yeah um andrea rice right yes yeah 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 i read that i'm like you're absolutely right and if we're so particular about speaking the truth and not twisting it, but yet we're going to do it on our end and you know, it's not very healthy. I'm still looking for it here. Well, and, and how do you know, it's like the same kinds of things where you've got these trusted sources. And so through a trusted source or a trusted channel, you see this meme and your, your expectations are already set that these general authorities are just, you know, liars and they're just trying to ruin every bit of your life. And, make you look bad, make them look good. You've already got all of the expectations right there for confirmation bias to come in and go, oh, yep, see, it's exactly what you thought it was. Well, and the confirmation bias does come from actual experiences. There are times when really inconsiderate and tone deaf things come across the the feed at general conference that because they don't hear it from the point of view that we're coming from a deconstructed point of view why would they like like the word inconsiderate inconsiderate of who inconsiderate of what like they they're not talking to us ex-mormons they're only talking to their own flock how dare you know it's i don't know i but i guess i've just been out of it for so long uh that stuff it I don't know, I just I just look at it and think why why still get so upset about something that somebody said in general conference when you've really removed yourself from it or even why even watch it <laughs> yeah and why well, even watch it and but 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 in this case I think a lot of people they weren't they didn't watch it they just saw the meme yes so I'm, I'm going to tell you what the meme says. It's All a right. picture of Elder Anderson, and he's speaking in conference. It's got the flowers in the background, and it says, 
It's particularly heartbreaking when former church members leave and speak out against the church. They are Judas. Sometimes it's better just not to engage with the Judases. Okay. Do, do you want to deconstruct that meme or do you want me to? So I, I want, I'll tell you, you what he did say. <laughs> Here's the weird thing. Here's what he did say. It's particularly heartbreaking when former members um, leave and speak out against the church that yeah. he did say that, yeah. but he did not call them directly, call them Judases. And he did not say it's better not to engage with the Judases. No, he said it's better to be peacemakers. Right. And to walk away when there's conflict and, you know. Yeah. To not engage in conflict to not engage in arguing and, and things like that instead of, yeah, it, that association with they are Judas's, that was the biggest bait and switch in the whole meme. Cause he did talk about Judas, but he was talking about it from a completely, I don't know. I, but if, if my psyche is heightened and you know, I'm, I'm totally, um, I'm totally not aware of my bias and I'm looking for something insensitive to be said at conference. Yeah. I can see how somebody would pull that out. Right. And that they would, it would become so real for them that they're going to make a meme about it and then to watch it explode and watch it get momentum and traction and then have to retract that and say, you know what? I didn't really give it a fair assessment. And the did way that happen? That no, but the, the, this is oh. how that, uh, that, that bias works just in with humans. Yeah. You know I mean, I wonder who created that meme and what they think about it. I'm not sure if it was done like on Reddit or Exmo something. It would be interesting to find out because for me at first, when somebody caught me on it, so that's not really what was said. I watched myself defend myself and you say, well, it was close enough. Yeah. And then I, uh, then I and, said, and, well, and what does that mean? It's close enough things and, and they misquote us. And so we're justified. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Of course I want, that. I don't, I don't want to represent that. That is the most immature thing I could imagine. Watch me defend my truth, but I have over 250 likes on it. And now I have to go back and eat my crow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't like eating crow. Do we, Wendy? I don't like it's it's a little too gamey for me. <laughs> where's where's the hidden gift of empowerment in looking at this situation like what what do you, what do you learn from having experienced it the way that you did um one i i am proud of myself that i did looked at it and went you know yeah this is not sensible and i'm not going to promote it and give it any more traction. Um, and I loved observing myself resist that because it lets me know that I still have, you know, some space for me to observe my, my bias. And I realized that none of us are really immune to our bias <laughs> ever, never, Yeah, we, or we, even completely aware of them, <laughs> you know, to, right. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, it also, um, I don't know, it's just the whole observation. And that's what I've loved about my own growth and development is being willing to challenge myself. Yeah. Whereas before it was almost like there were layers of shame that couldn't penetrate it in order for me to see my bias and to see my, to, to see, you know, how I'm not being reasonable. Okay. So are, 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 are you saying that you think that your initial response when you saw the meme and you didn't know the whole story behind it was an, a, not a reasonable response? Um, I think it was a human response. It, I think it was yeah. a response. Yeah. I, I would hope that you wouldn't think that that was you being unreasonable, you know, that, that you would yeah. look at that response and realize that that is a perfect response. <laughs> well, to, to, to who you are, to what, to what you knew at the time, like for you to have that immediate reaction, th- there are completely valid reasons for you to feel that way. Right. 
Well, so I've been working in, in the um, post-Mormon world for seven years now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sensitive to the things that people hear. And it doesn't hurt me anymore, but it's almost like I have this mama bear that I want to protect those. You know, if you've just left and you hear a quote like that, when I see something like that, there's a level of trust I offer the author of it. You know, I'm thinking that author, the person who, who wrote the meme, mm-hmm. why would they misrepresent that? Yeah. That again is my own bias because I would never do that. I, I would never put a quote out there like that if that isn't exactly what the person said. And yeah. so I gave, I gave too much trust and I didn't go and investigate it first. Yeah. But w- when I read it, I thought, I remembered the lax. The, the, the lazy learners and the lax disciples quote yeah. that was given by um, Nelson and it was rude and it was very dismissive. Oh yeah. There, and there, there've been a lot. Yeah. There, there have, there have been a lot. So in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, they're doing it again. And I was like, are you kidding? And so that's when I start posting and I start defending and I start fighting and saying, this is not healthy for us to have these kind of pushbacks and having apostles saying these kinds of things who about people who are trying desperately to find their path and they they don't want to leave the church. Yeah. Did you want to leave the church? Yeah. You did? Yeah. I never I wanted it to be true. Well, I wanted it to be true. I I I mean, now now you're asking me a question that's going to take us in a completely different direction. I know. I just chased the rabbit right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I, I I wanted the church to be true. I thought I thought that my understanding of the gospel was true. You know, so that like clinging to truth, I kept with me, even though I eventually thought, okay, the tr- the church isn't where the truth is anymore. I got it. (laughs) And they're not measuring up. And so I was really critical of where they were not uh, measuring up to the truth anymore. But I, I, I heard, I've heard this several times from several different sources that when talking about how you're going to react and respond to something, you can either fight to tear something down, or you can put your energy and attention into something that you want to build up. And that it's more productive and healthy to put that attention into what you want to build up. And what I heard you say is that you're in, in that first moment, initial moment where you saw that meme, your first reaction, that mama bear instinct in you that is very protective of all of these people that you work with and you love. I mean, you care about them. Your mm-hmm. heart just broke for them. And that put you into this fight or flight, you know, and you say, fight, I'm not going to choose flight in this one or freeze. I'm going to choose fight. I'm going after this because I love these people. And I, I guess the question that I want to ask and explore, um, first of all, do you think there's anything to that? Um, it's not really a quote, but that thing that I heard of like putting your energy into building something that you want to build rather than tearing down something that needs to be torn down. Um, do you think there's anything to that? And, and then if so, how, how would we best respond to something like this? When, when you recognize I'm feeling triggered, I'm feeling really angry because people that I love are being hurt. Do you put that energy and attention into then trying to attack the thing that hurt them or into suckering, nurturing, um, being compassionate towards the people that you love and really kind of like leaning into that love and celebrating that love. So I, let's use the analogy of the mama bear. Yeah. (laughs) When I feel like there's a threat to the people that I love, who I know are bleeding out, who I know I'm emotional about this. Yeah. Who I know have given their all and they're researching and they're trying to understand um, something they thought was true their whole life and finding it collapsing. It's so destabilizing and it's so scary. And you feel like your whole world is collapsing. And for somebody who you've seen in a, in a position of authority to say something so um 
dismissive and irresponsible and not realize that the damage it does to a person who's in that very vulnerable place, like a mama bear, I, I, I want to scare you, (laughs) get away from my cubs. And then I want to get my cubs to safety. And so I think there are two things going on that it does need to be called out and that we do, there is power in finding the ability to articulate what those kinds of things, if I'm not hearing it and I'm tone deaf, cause I'm in one camp, I know I'm using real big generalizations here. Um, but, but what you're saying is really hurtful. My goal in everything that I post that might be a push against the church is trying to help them understand how what they're doing is hurting people. What, who is doing is so you, you doctrines and the behaviors and the cultural attitudes and things about people who leave. So in this case where it was Neil L. Anderson that was giving this talk over general conference, you'd really like to get the message through to Neil L. Anderson that what he's saying is hurting people and he needs to stop. Yes. (laughs) Or the people who position him as a a power of authority and speaking for God. I mean, let's remember Glenn that these men we're conditioned to believe they're speaking for God. They're conditioned to believe that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I think there's to answer your question, I think there's, there's room for, for both. There does need to be some kind of deconstruction, but we're not all doing this on our own. Choose where you want to be. Do you want to be in in this place where you're trying to help people understand how it hurts? (laughs) Or do you want to be the one that I'm going to be the uplifter? And some days I'm the uplifter. Most times I'm the, how can we help you heal? But there are days when I will go into that and I will say they did it again. And I am not going to be quiet about it. (laughs) And I just have learned to be okay with how I vacillate between the two. Yeah. Knowing that eventually, because I can see the pattern in myself, I'm moving more towards the peaceful side where I just don't want, I'm just going to let other people take care of that. Yeah. I, I don't need to say anything anymore. Um, I just need to be there for the cleanup and I'm fine with that. And I imagine one day I'll even be beyond that where I'm like, it's just not, it's not, I'm not feeling magnetically pulled to it anymore. Yeah. I, I've got a question that I don't know. I, I always worry that when I expose how I really think and feel about things that people are going to come after me, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, I do. I get worried about that because in this case, I'm wondering why is it that you can have, I don't know what, give me a number of people, 10 people, a hundred people, a thousand people, however many people listening to the same message, but you don't have a uniformity in their reactions and response to it. You've got, you know, people respond to it from wherever it is that they're at, right? And so you've got a a, a demographic of people that get hurt because you like you you said that his words were damaging. If if those were the words that he said, absolutely. I'm, and I and I fundamentally the church would be okay with that. <laughs> I fundamentally disagree with that. I don't believe that his words are damaging because I, I think that if his words are damaging. Then, and, and I think damage is such a strong, I hate that word, maybe hurt, painful, but damage, like what you, you, there's something that's beyond repair that like, I think of that or, or needs serious repair, like damage feels really, really strong to me. And I, I have you, have you read the book, the coddling of the American mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff? No, I I'm familiar with Jonathan Haidt's work, but nothing. yeah author no um if if you're i mean if if you like jonathan height you you like his previous books it's it's a good follow-up but he he's basically um saying we we have kind of protected ourselves so much that it's hard for us to engage in conversations where we disagree with each other it's hard to have differences of opinion because people take it so seriously. Like you've damaged me by having this opinion of me. That's not true. Right. Really? Even if you're calling him a, a Judas, is that really damaging them? Um, you know, so, so to me, when I look at what the cause of the suffering is, I don't look at Neil 
L. Anderson, I look at the minds of the person who's receiving it and I ask, why is it that they're receiving it in a way that's hurtful to them? And, and what could be done to that mind so that they could receive that same thing and it would just roll off them like water rolls off the back of a duck. It just doesn't penetrate it, you know, or, or you accept it for what it is instead of what you think that it means about you and how people are going to see you and think of you and, and that sort of thing. I, to, to me, that's where I see empowerment is working on yourself so that you don't get hurt by those kinds of what because it's so mild, really what he was saying. That's my perspective. And again, I, I worry saying this out loud because I don't want, I don't want to hurt people that are hurt by it, but I do want to show them you can change this by changing your perspective on things. You can make that, that change and shift. And like, we've talked about the power of asking questions. I, I, I had this, this thought last night as I was stretching and, you know, my, my calves were really tight and sore. My hamstrings really tight and sore. Like if I get up and start walking around, I was really, really stiff. So I had to stretch a bit. And I, I thought about that with like the mind with when, when I've got certain beliefs or certain expectations and I haven't asked questions to stretch those out, anything that comes along that makes me have to move and stretch that is really painful and it's rigid. And that the more you ask questions, the more you challenge your own assumptions and beliefs and expectations about the way that things are, I think the more flexible your mind can be and your heart can be in receiving things that don't seem like they should be there. <laughs> but the process of asking questions and exploring that can make it easier. The next, next general conference, when somebody says something insensitive, instead of really getting worked up into this place of like, I can't believe it. I, I, and I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the kind of response where people are anyone that I I'm aware of is like devastated or paralyzed by it. It's more just kind of like, yeah, see, look at how awful the Mormon church is again. And blah, blah, you know, that sort of thing. We're, we're going to prove to prove to everyone that we're yeah. getting hurt. Yeah. So a couple things about that. Yay. First of all, the word damage. Yeah. I agree with you. No, I agree with you. And I, it's interesting as I talk to some, some people and clients and other people who work in the coaching field, um, working with people who are deconstructing, they'll, they'll use words. Like I heard the other day, it's so violating to me. Yeah. And I, I heard in uh, a podcast many years ago, um, a woman was describing what it felt like to be, uh, to be in an excommunication or a council, what do they call it? the a council of love? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I know what you talk about. Because she had you disciplinary know, council. Disciplinary maybe council. maybe they don't call it that anymore because discipline has such a negative connotation yeah. and they call Even it that council word, of love or whatever. Yeah. Talk about words, you know? Yeah. Um, but she said, I'm in there with 12 men. I don't have anybody to defend me. And I'm explaining some very vulnerable things and acts that I had been involved in. And um they talked to me very gently and very softly. And then they um, excommunicated me. Sorry, sister, but you know, we feel at this time that you, you are going to be excommunicated. And she gave the whole words and the verbiage that they use. And then they went around the room and they all shook her hand. And some of them tried to lean in and give her a hug. And she said it was that to her felt so violating. Yeah. She felt like she had been gang raped by teddy bears. Yeah. It's, wow. <laughs> I think we use like words to, we want to use the biggest, hardest word, which is so fun because now that I've left the church, I've, I've discovered the word fuck. It's, <laughs> you know, I try, yeah. Try it, be, it's been around a lot longer. Than I know. When, I just yeah. discovered it. I'm like, hmm, it's been around for a while. With this. Yeah. But I think to, to answer to some of the things that you were saying. Too. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Can, can, can I talk about this yeah. before? Cause I, I love that you took notes. You want to go down it, but this client that you had, I, I, I think she probably really genuinely had that experience. So like the words yeah. that she was using were accurately descri describing how it felt. And so like, as I was listening to your story, I was thinking about the like stretching the brain metaphor and that, it sounds to me like she didn't want to be excommunicated. She didn't feel like it was right to be excommunicated. She felt like 
she didn't have any power over her like membership and her standing in the church. This was being superimposed on her against her will and trying to push her mind into areas that it didn't want to go because she really, truly, firmly believed maybe not in everything about the church, but there was something that she wanted to be there with. And so this experience that she's having is a very real, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt any of what she's saying about what she felt about it. What, what, what I would hope. And again, this is something that would take time. If, if you had somebody who wasn't as attached to Mormonism, there's like, Oh yeah, go ahead and excommunicate me. It's not a big deal. Oh, you want to shake my hand? Okay. It's no problem. And that's their mindset then it wouldn't feel like so violating. And, and I'm not trying to gaslight her by saying, this is your fault because you did it. Like how, how, how could you be any other way than how you are ever? How could anybody be any other way than how they are right in the exact moment because of all of the experiences they've had up to that point? There's no way that you could be different. And well, right, because she feels like her entire spiritual world and connection to God is all wrapped up in her marriage. Right the church and now she's crossed the line and she knows she does and, and she's trying to explain you're like i don't have any representation yeah and it's it's humiliating and it's embarrassing yeah and now my whole spiritual connection is you know <laughs> up to them and they're speaking as if it's no big deal and just giving me a hug and but right or that this is a loving thing, you know, that for, yeah. for, for, for what, whatever their mindset is in, right. in, in this, you know, wherever they're at with it. But I, I would, I would hope um, maybe even expect that in time, this feeling that she has to want to be connected to her eternal blessings, whatever those are for her, connected to God, connected to source, connected to what, to whatever, that she would feel and, re and, and recognize, oh, I, I was told that this had to be spoon fed to me through the ordinances of the Mormon church and through the priesthood, but uh, it doesn't, you know, I, I recognize that that's not true. I still don't quite feel it. Like, like the way that I feel about things hasn't caught up to my intellectual understanding that it's not true, but over time and other experiences, it will, and it'll settle into it. So right now you're going through a really, really hard time, very understandable. And let's sit together and go through this as long as you need to go through it and try to avoid consuming things that are going to prolong <laughs> this experience for you, this pain for you try, try to do things that will help uh, alleviate that pain and pressure. And I, I think when, like when, when you were talking about your response to the meme and your mother bear instincts come up, it's because you're trying to protect something that you love. Mm -hmm. I, I think to, to me, that's the big secret and key. You, you find what it is that you love and then you lean into that. Like I, I am going to love this thing that I love instead of spending so much time mourning how people have taken it away from me. And now I'm upset at those people because I don't have power. They took it away from me. Well, guess what? You've got power. You had power the entire time. You were just told that you didn't. You never really learned how to use it or how to develop it, but you can now. You're free from that. And maybe feeling alone, like I need somebody to teach me. You don't really. I mean, <laughs> you just need to learn how to trust yourself again, which is hard to do. Yeah. But, yeah, I, my, my, my approach, I, I know when I talk with people, it's like just kind of flipping a switch or people will think about the that Book of Mormon musical song about, turn, yeah, turn it off like a light switch, you know, just yeah, like, just, just change it, just change it, just, <laughs> you, you realize that the priesthood isn't what it is, so just change everything, you know, like for me, I can do that pretty quick. I know other people can't do it pretty quick. But, That's funny. Um, I had a, a cute client today. She's like, I'm so afraid of being excommunicated. I'm like, yeah. well, you've already left. You haven't gone. Yet. She's like, and this is why. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, she's going to say something like, you know, it'll be humiliating. And what will people think of me? Yeah. Well, that's the biggest, that I think that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Is the I social just assume that, but this cost, is, yeah. this is really what she was worried about. 
Oh, her, her, her. I'm afraid that when my mom dies, I won't be able to be in there. If I don't oh, have yeah. membership, I won't be able to be in there when they, they dress her for her funeral. Oh, that's the only value that she plays on her membership in the church. Yeah. But that's still like, that's gotta be a pretty big thing. You know, if, if she's been thinking about her mom's funeral and how important it'll be for her to be there and, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's a hard yeah. thing to try and to let go of and go, questions. Oh, I can't do that now. I always wanted to, and I yeah. can't now. But I think to what you're talking about, I think as we increase our consciousness, it happens gradually. Yeah. It happens, you know, and, and we have to give ourselves grace and compassion for where we used to be and where we are now is not where we're going to be 10 years from now. Yeah. And to just look at that and say, oh, I just used to make such a big deal out of so many things. And the more you, you increase your self-awareness, which is the self-empowerment we're talking about, the less victim-y life feels. Yeah. And you just notice that you're in a victim triangle and you just like, okay, I don't want to play this role anymore. And you can just opt out. But when you haven't experienced that, uh, ability to just opt out, it seems too impossible. Like it, ha- we, we put too much meaning on it and it's too intense. And, and I want to make everybody responsible. I want to make everybody understand. I want somebody to apologize. And we just get so it, um, deeply embedded in these triangles of victimhood. Yeah. And I think that in that place, it's our first reaction isn't to ask a question, it's to defend. <laughs> but you know that you're, you know that you're ra- raising yourself on that level of consciousness when you do ask a question. Yeah. Instead of def- when you w- would have normally defended. And you say, wait, it's, and here's so let's, let's take this talk. Elder Anderson, I get the quote running through my Facebook feed. Mm-hmm. If I was in that question mode, I would have said, Ooh, I wonder if that's really what he said. Yeah. I don't even think that I would like <laughs> ask that question right off the bat, like question whether the meme was genuine or not legit. Yeah. I'm, I'm still in that place where my next thing that I would have said, would have said, I wonder if it's really what he said and go look the talk up myself, but I wasn't in that space. Sometimes I'm way beyond that space. Other times I fall back. <laughs> how, how exhausting and time-consuming would it be, though, if we had to do that for every single thing that pops up right. in front of us that we're constantly like, "Is we're this true?" I'm going to go check. Time. I'm going to go check. Yep. Yeah. So very true, but I think that that is part of the empowerment um, levels of empowerment of being able to ask a question and just sit with it before you go into the default mode and the you know, defender mode in the, I'm so hurt and I feel damaged and I, I've been violated and, you know, <laughs> attack, yeah. fight, flight, and just rest with it and take a deep breath in and say, yeah. is it even worth my energy, my focus, my time, or my attention? Or would I just rather have peace? Yeah. Can I read you something? This, this might be a little weird, Wendy. So I, I got a, um, I got one of those uh, brain sensing headbands. It's, it's called a Muse S that I use for meditation. It gives me like biofeedback. And so I've been using that a lot lately. And the other night I was laying down and I was doing my meditation and I started having this kind of visual thing happen. And I, it, it's one of those things where I, I like kind of see this image in my head and all of a sudden I feel all this meaning around it. But whenever I try to express it and communicate with somebody, it just gets really clunky. But I wrote this down and I shared it with my coaching group. And I want to share it with you here and see if it, if it means anything to you because I, I, I see an application. But all right, I said, all right, I said, it was a vision of a deep, dark prick of suffering upon the brilliant fractal pattern of intelligent, living, energetic, divine fabric of space-time. A tiny black hole that created a signal, an SOS of sorts, which was immediately followed by a holistic response from all of it. A response to that black hole pain signal with so much immediate, intense, 
benevolent healing that the small dark prick in space instantly flowered outward, beginning deep from within the depth of its own darkness. Each fractal facet, like designs on an energetic flowering petal of healing, growing, cascading, folding in upon itself like a living kaleidoscope of brilliant, multicolored light blossoms, cascading exponentially outward and upward in a sacred geometrical multi-dimensionally penetrating pattern of healing grace, becoming larger and more brilliant through each and every lived experience of every human life, anywhere and everywhere, and all of the deep dark wound seeds that they, we, plant along the way, beginning with me and my wounds, right here, right now. I am an energetic garden of healing, blooming energy that flows out into the universe from each of my pinprick wounds as I heal them, from each wound in those around me who I help to heal from their wounds, especially from the wounds that I have caused in them, but also from the never wounds, the could have been wounds among all of the blossoming unwounded who avoided my old patterns of wounding behavior once I saw what I was doing and devoted my energies to healing rather than wounding, to growing the healing flowers planted from the wound seeds all around and within me, the infinite black hole pricks within the very fabric of space-time beginning and ending with me, right here, right now, always. That's the first time I've re read that out loud. It was kind of weird. What, 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 what did you think, Wendy? I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now. I want to try your brainwave thing. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds yeah. very fabulous, like almost being on a little mushroom trip or something. No, it wasn't. No, I, I was just, it, it was just tracking my, my breath and like letting me know kind of that I was in a deep state. Um, and, and I was, I, I also bought, it's called a conjo mat. That's like, it, it's almost like laying on a bed of nails, but they're like plastic spiky things. Have you seen those? I haven't. Well, when you come over next time, I'll show you, <laughs> but so I, I lay, I lay on this thing and it, it is, you know, like laying on a bed of nails. So I was thinking, I, I was picturing how each one of those little oh. spikes went into my skin. And what it does is it increases the, the blood flow because you get this pain signal that then like my brain is responding to and I get endorphins surging through my system. And I thought, oh, look at what my body's doing right now. My body feels all of these little pain pricks on my back as I'm laying on this mat. And it's responding by sending me nourishment and energy or not energy, but I guess it's all energy, but um, endorphins. And it's, it creates this feeling almost of euphoria after doing it for like 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, laying on that mat. And so then I, I, I was just thinking about that. And then I started thinking about that in the context of anybody in any wound and, you know, everybody being part of the fabric of space time anyway. So that, that wasn't necessarily from the, uh, the headband that's more just kind of everything I was experiencing and pondering as I was experiencing it. No, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And I love that you put words to it to articulate it because I think the more, uh, a lot of these spiritual experiences are hard to express in English in the English language. And that's why I have more respect for Sanskrit, you know, because it has so much meaning, but behind each word, but it also explains why, um, I don't know, the more conscious we become, the less we have to say. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, because th there's no way of accurately, like I, I can share a little bit, a little piece of what that experience was for me, but it's not going to be anywhere near as profound and meaningful to someone else as it was to me in that moment. It doesn't even scratch the surface of that. Um, and you can't express those kinds of things in words. And we, we get so hypnotized by words and communication and whether 
we're saying the right words or we're saying it in the right way. We're doing it. And it's all, I don't know, it's all these imperfect symbols that are representing sloppy understandings of a fraction of reality that most of it, we just have no clue about. But you know what? I can't help but wonder that when you get me a concho bit, is that what you called it? K-A-N-J-O Matt. Conjo. Yeah. Yeah. That's the brand name. I, I can't help but wonder if I'm laying on there for a minute and your words don't come to mind and makes a lot of sense to me suddenly. Mm. It's yeah. just being able to capture that moment where we're having an experience. And yeah, maybe it doesn't make sense to other people who haven't experienced it, but when they are experiencing it, they're grateful for those words because it, ex- it, it explained their own, their own experience. Yeah. Well, it's hard the, to explain what I'm trying to explain at this point. Yeah. The, the thing that was really beautiful to me about it. And I, I hope validating for anybody who's ever in pain. And I include myself in that because there's times where I'm in tremendous pain, emotional pain and all kinds of insecurities and anxieties and things like that. Um, that there is, a, it's, it's a call for healing, you know, it, it, and there is a response just like my, my brain sending those uh, chemicals. Um, but in, in this community, in the ex-Mormon community, when there's pain and there's suffering, there's mama bears like you that say, all right, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to help you. And I want to so, tell off some brethren before I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, and, and maybe that will help and maybe it won't. Yeah, probably <laughs> you know, do anything. Maybe, maybe that won't do anything. Anyway. <laughs> you know, cause the other thing that I, 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 I am hyper aware of is, is that any activity that we do and we repeat, we get better at doing that thing. And it becomes a, it, it just becomes a more permanent feature of our neural architecture of our neural landscape. And so if it's fighting against something and we're fighting, 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 we're going to get really, really good at fighting. And if it's not very effective, what we're doing is fighting. It just keeps us in that state of like needing to fight something instead of developing instead the habit of compassionate understanding and nurturing first yourself and then others around you and doing that from as calm and clear and compassionate a place as possible. Um, you know, like what habits are we developing? Yeah. There's a sequence to it though. So I know growing up in, in my, the culture that I was raised in the family dynamics, I was very cautious about the things that I said. And sometimes yeah. it wasn't safe to say what I actually feel. Cause I was afraid of hurting other people. Yeah. And then when I, when I started to learn some things and that life isn't really the way people are telling us. And I found I had a voice and I knew that if I voiced those things that I was going to get pushback and people weren't going to think fondly of me anymore yeah. and that they might that have sounds an- familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, it's that space of vulnerability, but you know what, I'm going to say it anyway, kind of thing. And then you get, you get stronger um, with wrestling with that feeling. And then you're going to like, how far can I take this? And then you might start start the fighting and how can I, is the fighting worth it? And you notice how you feel while you're fighting and you're like, yeah, you know what? This is boring. It doesn't interest me anymore. It's not getting to where my soul wants to be. Cool. So and any, any final, any final words to kind of wrap this one up, Wendy? Cause I like it. I like this conversation that we had. Me too. Well, I like it more. <laughs> I will let you like it more. <laughs> but I will ask the question. I wonder why he likes it more than me. And does he real? how does he know he likes yeah, it more? <laughs> I know. I probably don't. I just want to be the best. I just always want to be the best at everything. Wendy, don't you? I thought that that was something that we shared in common. Yeah, I gave up on that one a while ago. But Did you? <laughs> I just want to be happy, but I kind of want to look cool while I'm doing it. Mm. (laughs) Don't need to be the best. Um, But I am thinking about how this applies. And that's the story of the four roses, the four white roses that I give. 
and it is four women have been in a relationship and we'll say a man i'm just going to keep it heterosexual but i i don't i do want to honor that there are other relationships besides heterosexual relationships but four four women um have received a whole bouquet of a dozen white roses at the door two weeks after they've been in a relationship with a man and the first woman sees the roses at the door and she says oh my gosh this guy we've only been dating for two weeks what the heck is he doing and the second woman opens the door sees the roses and said oh no what did i do what did i do and she starts thinking in her mind how she might have uh, destroyed this relationship well the third woman opens the door and she's like oh no oh no we're just starting to have a relationship and the fourth woman opens the door and said white roses I wonder why he sent me white roses because the first woman what bright was what white roses meant to her was that she's going to get married and he's it's a proposal and he wants to marry her and she's like after two weeks what and the second woman uh white roses meant that everything is over you know that that that's the end of the relationship and the third woman white roses meant to her that um i'm trying to remember what the third woman was oh that's that he had died (laughs) because her grandma always talked about white roses and death and they just had different experiences in life where white roses the meaning of a white rose meant different to each of them and because there was no exclamation explanation on the card then they were left to discern for themselves what it meant. And they automatically lean into their bias because of their experience. My hope is that I can be the fourth woman and just say white roses. I wonder why you sent these because that's how you're going to find out. You have to ask the question. (laughs) Yeah. And even that fourth woman, I mean, she's responding that way because of her conditioning as well. You know, her, her biases that lead her to that is, I, I think in the case of like stretching your mind to ask questions, like after you, if, if you're one of those women receiving the roses and you have that initial response, whatever it is, then going, oh, what, what else could this mean? Right. What, what else could this mean besides this? And really kind of stretch yourself to go, okay, it could mean this. It could mean this. It could mean this. It could mean this. There could be things that I can't even think about right now that it could mean and I really don't know what it means. So that kind of does put you in that position before the one of like, hmm, I wonder what this means of curiosity, because I realize it could be a lot more than what my initial reaction thinks it is. But I'm always going to have that initial reaction. And that, that initial reaction is always going to be based on my unique set of experiences in life. It's not going to be what other people necessarily have said. So yeah, very true. Yeah. And the, inter- the, inter- the thing about this story, though, is that there was a sender mm-hmm. and he had an intention. Yeah. But who knows? Once she asked him, he could have said, I don't know. They sent you white. I ordered yellow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, you, you never know. The, the guy who sent the roses might have sent it to the wrong address. It's true. He was, he was intending to send it to a woman, but not one of these four. It was, <laughs> it was somebody else. He got it wrong, you know, but, but uh, yeah, there are intentions, but it, it, I, it I know we got to end this right now, but it, yeah. it just brings up this really interesting thing to me about how many times we argue with people and even like our, our loved ones, our family members, because the way that they see things isn't the way that we see things and the way that they understand it isn't the way that we understand it. And we think that our understandings, like our conclusions have to add up. Like, why, why do we think that? And I, I, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I, I think it has to do with our school system. I think it has to do with the way that we were raised from the time that we were so young that we were quiz can you remember the the right answer do you know the right answer oh if you don't know the right answer then don't raise your hand if you if you say the wrong answer then you don't deserve to be heard and we've just been conditioned over our lives to think that if what we say doesn't line up with what most everybody else around us is saying that there's danger and it's wrong and 
They'll um, be rejected or abandoned. Yeah. And then there's that fear that's, that every single one of us has experienced to one degree or another, I think. So true. Well, I'm glad you think that it's true because if you didn't, I would think there was something wrong with me or I would think there was something wrong with you, but <laughs> all right. Thanks, so Wendy. Good. I feel really empowered. I do too. Thanks for sharing your, your words too. I welcome. I'm excited to get on your conjo bed. Yeah. Do, do, do you feel more empowered after this uh, uh, conversation than you do entequilid? More empowered than entequilid? Yes. <laughs> I, I made up a word. Entequilid. Yeah. Meaning that you had too much tequila. Yeah. I feel more empowered than I do tequila. Yes, I do. I get what you were asking just <laughs> and, then. Entequilid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm more yeah, empowered than yeah, I am tequila. It took a while. Entequilid. <laughs> I release control and surrender to the flow of love that will heal me. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Former LDS podcast. Now, if you found today's episode interesting or valuable in any way, please share it with someone that you care about. You can also give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. You can find Wendy and Glenn at the Empowered Former LDS group on Facebook, 3.1 thousand members strong, where you can also discuss this episode with others and sign up yourself to share your own story and thoughts about empowerment on this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember, wherever you're at, whatever is going on, you got this.